their stripper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Out of us, Gail Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Oh, spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him if he catches it. It's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you I'm going to murder what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandoz and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher with you, talking ETSU men's and women's basketball, Southern Conference scheduling, and bold predictions, where it's the rare week. I won one, Mike cheated and won one. I don't know how it worked out that way, but it probably did somehow, some way. We will talk ETSU basketball, and um, not just the game against UAB, but the game against uh, North Carolina A&T, slash now Gardner-Webb, slash Maybe another one on Thursday, slash maybe another one on Saturday. We'll see what happens on all that going. We know for, oh, there we go. The oh, I'm you're sorry. absolutely ruining the, the biggest stories. The hard you absolutely stepped the all over. The investigative reporting you've been craving. Mike Gallagher, all should be found at ESPN, The Athletic, and The Associated Press. Now here's someone not named Adrian Wojnarowski, Ian Rappaport, or Bruce Feldman. Go ahead. No, I'm waiting on you, Dan the Duke Davis. Let's go. What do you got? You've already broken the news. What am I going to be the second guy to the news? I am not. I'm never the official guy. Nobody, am, Nobody's buying me as the official guy. I am not shams to your woes. I will not do it. Okay. I, I, I didn't see where you are going with that for a second, but now I know. Now I know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there was a game scheduled for Tuesday. It was North Carolina A&T. This just in. Gardner-Webb from Bowling Springs, North Carolina, has decided to make the trip over. Tuesday, 7 o'clock, still a game, different opponent. Does it matter to fans, or they just want to see a game? My guess is they don't really care if it's A&T or Gardner. Well, if they're like us, they probably just want to see some basketball. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's they, where I'm at. I'm just wanting to play. And I mean, I'm kind of curious, North Carolina A&T played Saturday. They have played nine games, which is the most in the country. No one else has played nine. Now they, only, they need a break. There's only four other teams that have played eight. So they are far and away, at this point essentially, far and away, the most busy team in the country in a very not busy time in college basketball. So I get it, but what I don't understand, and I'm not going to hammer North Carolina A&T on this, like maybe there's something going on we don't know about. Uh, I was I'm about sure. three hours into prep yesterday, sitting on the couch, kind of watching football, kind of doing prep for that game. And I refreshed the schedule page for North Carolina A&T, and it says postponed, right? Next was, I text Kevin Brown, and I say, I don't know what's going on, but... North Carolina A&T definitely just put on their website within the last 20, 30 minutes that the game is off. He's like, yeah, I got a call about 10 minutes ago, uh, game's off. So we're looking for another opponent, and it turns out it might be Gardner-Webb. I don't really understand with North Carolina A&T, it doesn't sound like it was COVID-related from what we know at this moment. And so if it wasn't, there are contracts with these games and such. Does this year give you just free license, even if oh, absolutely. That doesn't have to do with COVID to just cancel games left and right. Well, I mean, it, let's even just, if it doesn't have to do with COVID, I don't well, understand. Well, let's just say this because again, I, I'm not real sure why it was canceled. 
Again, so, I'm not either. So I'm not sure if it is or isn't COVID, but isn't the easiest excuse to say, co- you just say COVID. And what are you going to do? Are you going to ask for documentation, see testing? You're going to do whatever? You're just going to go, okay. I mean, to me, that's the, if you want to get out of a game, the easiest thing to do is we got COVID concerns. Look, and if it's COVID, and there are concerns and they're legitimate and all that, like, totally get it. And North Carolina A&T has obviously scheduled a ton of games. But if they come up to their 10th game and realize they also, by the way, are scheduled for a back-to-back Friday and Saturday, I think they're trying to prepare for the fact that the Big South has gone back-to-back. Or, I'm sorry, uh, the MEAC has gone back-to-back this year, much like the Big South has. A lot of conferences have gone Correct. back. So I think they're trying to prepare for that. But if it's the simple fact that, well, guys are a little tired, we may have overscheduled, we've been off more than we could chew with this, then I don't have a lot of sympathy I mean, for that. But if it's COVID, yes. There, yeah, you're absolutely there, right. there are baseball no, teams I know, and I don't think it's as ramped as it used to be, but they would schedule 60 games because they know rainouts happen, this, that, and other. And if there's not enough rainouts happen, then they would pick and choose on which game they want to play and have to cancel another team. But the other team may not have scheduled that way. And so I know that was a, a thing at one time. I don't think it's as rampant as, as, as it is or was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago in baseball Division One scheduling. So I, I don't know. Again, I don't know. Um, it is a little odd. Uh, but they have played a lot of games as opposed to other teams. Gardner-Webb's only had two. And so they're, you know, they're just trying to get in the game. And they uh, played Western Kentucky. They played Pittsburgh. They are 0-2 on the season, and they're like a lot of teams. They just want to get games in. And ETSU is also looking to add a Thursday game. Uh, it looks like it could be USC-Aiken. We're uh, waiting to see if that's going to be the word on Thursday. And then Saturday they're looking for an opponent. Rumor could be UNCA on the road. Also, they're talking to other teams uh, just in case UNCA doesn't work out. So there's a chance that you looked at your schedule and you had Tuesday North Carolina A&T, and you could play three games and not one of them was on your schedule. What do you think of that, Mike Gallagher? On the USCA point, we are going to talk in segment three today about Southern Conference scheduling on the men's basketball side, looking at the standings and kind of breaking down who's played who, who should feel good, who should feel not. You're going to find one common theme with how we present that in segment three, or at least from my side of things, how it's presented in segment three, and you'll be able to rapidly react, as I'm sure you have many opinions yourself. I have a lot of opinions. Very good. Let's talk about some opinions involving the UAB game. And just what a frantic end of the contest. I want to start really, I guess, at the end. It was the most important part of the game since the game was decided. But Wildly entertaining to me. Great college basketball mid-major game. Need more of these. Need more Andy Kennedy saying, you know what, I don't care to go on the road first and you come back next year. I will say it was a game where I do feel like it was won because there was no crowd. Mm. I think when the Marcus Nyblack a double technical um, asked to leave the ball game, I really feel like Buck fans would have been very ruckus from that point forward. And I think there were some things that could have helped ETSU. And I think a lot of this, I watched a lot of um, college basketball, really Friday watching game tape of other games, Saturday, also watch football Saturday, watched NFL Sunday. And you're looking at the number of road teams that are winning and winning with ease and people even saying in the NFL nowadays it really doesn't matter if you have home field because it's not a home field. Right. said, so yes, you're staying in your own bed, but the crowd and the communications and, you know, if there was a year that the one seed doesn't particularly matter, and I don't know if that's because those teams aren't going to get the one seed, and so that's very easy to say. But in the same token, if you look at the number of road wins, just in the power five, I was trying to find the stat earlier today because I – Someone on Twitter put it up a, a blue, blue check mark at some point and said this was the most road uh, conference uh, wins by the road team in Power Five 
uh, I believe of all time, and you're sitting there going, well, okay. It's a, you know, and some of that you, you can play into it, but a lot of teams where, you know, maybe you're sitting there going, okay, how would this game go if you had 100,000 as opposed to, to 20-some thousand? And granted, in the ACC and SEC, they've had some fans, but you look at some of the other uh, venues and, and they haven't. And so just curious to see how that goes. But I think you're going to see in college basketball more. And, and I think the reason is because although I think the whistles were – favored a little the home team especially if you ask Andy Kennedy he was upset on some of the things went in the number of foul calls that went against his team but there were some calls there but I think again you get a crowd going the referees get into it home team makes a run you get some things to go your way that being said wildly entertaining basketball game as Mike said it was 57 uh, 54 ETSU was able to cut it to one after a tie Brewer made jumpers first field goal of the game made it 57 56 UAB leading 145 to go and here's where the frantic play happened it was a loose ball down in the corner. Ladarius Brewer going out of bounds, throws it behind his back. It's one of those situations where it's easy to, to – I've heard coaches say this, and some coaches have drills where it's like if you're underneath your goal, you throw as far as you can towards midcourt. Right. In the heat of the moment, throwing it behind your back, you're trying to keep in play, you thought you had a steal. And in all honesty, if Michael Ertle wasn't already sort of cutting to the hoop, which he was hitting stride for a layup, Silas Hideki would have had the ball. It was one of those weird – plays it just didn't go your way. Ertel was able to hit the layup, gives a three-point lead, but then Ladarius Brewer comes right back down and uh, about 20 seconds later knocks down a three, tied at 59 with about 59 seconds to go. And then Jalen Benjamin, who was hot early in the second half, really had missed, uh, I think, his last five shots, gets the ball on the wing, gets a clean look. He knocks down um, his fourth made three of the contest, puts him up 62-59. David Sloan gets fouled, hits both free throws. Buck to catch a break because there was one missed free throw by Quan Jackson who never really got going offensively due to foul trouble. He made his second free throw. It's 63-61, and then Ladarius Brewer, three-pointer in the corner. Um, I don't know if it was blocked or just he had I a double it. clutch. Oh, I couldn't quite replay. tell. Someone was videoing it down on the court, and granted it was on the other side of the court, so about 50 or so feet away from where the play took place, but it was zoomed in, and it was still, from that vantage point, and granted, these aren't broadcast-quality cameras, but it was just a phone, uh, very difficult to tell if Quan got a hand on the ball. It didn't look like he hit Ladarius's hand or wrist, but it also didn't really look like he hit the ball, but I also know that Ladarius didn't shoot at three feet behind the backboard, and granted, it was a very, very difficult angle. He was having to fight the backboard a bit as he was just wedged over there in the corner, but all of the three things that could have happened, Hit him on the hand, slash arm, actually blocked the shot, or didn't hit anything at all. I'm still not sure after watching that replay exactly what happened, but you're right, Quan Jackson never got it going on the offensive end, but he and I thought Trey Jemison were as advertised on the defensive end, and it was never more apparent than on that last play against Ladarius. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and the other thing was the, the play is designed for Sloan to get to the rim, and then, of course, uh, Jemison comes over, right, and Big Seven Footers got two or three block shots on the day. And then you get the hammer pass or the bailout pass or whatever you want to really call that thing. And you get Ladarius open in a corner. I mean, the play was designed, you know, get to the rim. If it's not open, kick out. They kicked out. Didn't get it. Michael Ertel was able to shoot free throws when win the contest. And, you know, I think it's pretty obvious there's certain areas that ETSU could have been better at to win the game. And, you know, there's a couple loose balls that didn't go their way. Certainly free throw shooting for the second time this season, you know, really hurt the Buccaneers um, when you look at that. Shooting was a little better, but there were still some shots that ETSU struggled. That being said, another defensive – I mean, you hold 
you beat a 65 points. I mean, that's Kiddo's enough to win a game. 85 per game coming in. Now, they hadn't played a whole lot of top-level competition, but you hold them 20 points below your average, you expect that you're going to be in the game, if not winning it. And this is something you and me talked about before the season started. This team may have to get to 70, 75 to win some games this year uh, because the defense is a little bit behind. Well, that's not how it's worked out. They've, been, but they've needed gonna, 66 but you're twice. you're still going to need more than 65. I mean, you needed 68 against Austin P. You need 66 this time around against UAB, and, and the offense is just really struggling. It's something that myself and Bruce Trambarger talked about when we got off air. You know, who are the ones that ETSU can rely on right now offensively? And I talked about Ladarius Brewer, of course, and Silas Adeke. I think if you told me or you or anyone probably around the college basketball world that you're going to be getting double-doubles from Silas Adeke, he's going to be averaging six, seven points a game. You're super happy with that. That's double his collegiate Division One average. He has been spectacular. He was uh, no better, I think, at any point this season than he was on Saturday. I mean, 10 points, 11 rebounds, perfect from the field. Three block shots. He's shooting 75% from the field. I mean, he's 12 of 16. He's not going to be a volume guy, but 10 and 11, I mean, you get that from him any day, I'd say you're getting the win, but that's before you look at the rest of the box score. I mean, Sorrell Smith is shooting 26% from the field or whatever. I think it's below that. I think it's like 21% from the field. I think he was one of eight. Uh, David Sloan is struggling offensively. He's still your second leading scorer, but two of eight. You can't have that. Tamari Monsanto got off to the start that I thought he needed to to have a big game, and then he kind of disappeared. Ty Brewer, he hit those three threes in the first half against Austin P. And outside of that, I believe he is one for 13 from distance, and he was one of six from the field. Did get to the line a decent amount. I thought that was one of the disappointing things. You know, Vonnie Patterson, I know he's not an explosive offensive scorer, but when he gets to the line – He's a 55% career free throw shooter. He just has to be better. He has to contribute offensively in some way for this team to be able to, you know, get to that 65 number. If that's what you need, 68. If that's what you need, and to go one of six from the free throw line, just a microcosm of ETSU struggles for really quite some time at the free throw line. Heard him in Austin P. Heard him against UAB. You know the woulda, shoulda, couldas. I mean, Abilene Christian's the only game where really you're like, okay, better team won and and won. Handily. Even two years ago, that was hurting them. I mean, I'm talking about for over a long period of time. It, 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 it definitely an issue. I think I was impressed, not just with a decade, with the double-double, a couple of steals, three block shots, really altered other shots. Um, I thought Ladarius Brewer, again, on the glass, nine boards. We've seen a couple times this year with eight and nine rebound games. So he's And he had a three block shots. So, I mean, he was also doing a um, little left and uh, right all over the floor. Him and a decade were all over. They just need some more scoring. And honestly, there's guys I feel like that could do it, whether you've already mentioned Sloan, Smith, Ty Brewer, Monsanto. I mean, just if a couple, that's four guys, if two of those four, and that's really where the difference was last year. You know, it wasn't always the same three guys. I mean, we've seen ETSU teams that have sort of the AKA big three, and we've seen ETSU teams that have been able to spread the wealth. And there's different ways to, to skin the cat, if you will. And it seems like this team isn't going to be a big three. Now, because, A, I don't think Sadeke is going to be in double figures in every game. Now, it is encouraging his last several games that he's able to score. And he certainly has been able not just to finish around the rim, but he's hitting mid-range jumpers as well. So I think that's also something to see. But I think the big three you expected was the Brewers and Monsanto. And right true. now you only have one-third of that going well for you. I agreed. And I still think you – could get just those three and only those three, but Sloan has the potential to put double figures on the board. I think Smith, just for whatever reason, has not got going. 
And so, you know, you know, there's six – I thought filling in there there could be five, six guys and two or three could give you double figures every night and the other guys would be around six, eight points. Probably it's just not happening that way. Right. You know, you're, you're getting Brewer the last three games, you know, anywhere between 16 and 20 points, and then you've got one guy maybe right at 10 and then everybody else just nothing. And, and, and that's got he, – he needs, he needs a couple of running mates or he needs more scores to come up. I mean, even if you – just simply say, okay, Smith goes from one for eight for two for eight. Sloan goes from two for eight to three for eight. Monsanto hits one more shot. Bonnie Patterson hits one more shot. You just get eight to ten more points with five guys hitting one more field goal, not necessarily saying I need one guy to hit nine more shots. I need all of those guys to hit one more shot to what they are producing. And then all of a sudden you look like you could get a couple wins, and you could get to 75 points. Tomorrow, Monsanto you know, shooting 32% instead of 25%. Bonnie Patterson shooting 26% instead of 16%. Uh, Sir L. Smith shooting 31% instead of 21%. I don't think coming into this year, you would have thought that those numbers were a lot to ask for. And over the totality of the year, I don't think they will be a lot to ask for. I think this is, as we talked about before, a new team with not a lot of new pieces that right now is not gelling offensively. And, and they're not trusting each other. And they're not shooting with confidence. And there is some rust. Weird offseason so on and so forth. You go back to last year, what you were talking about, I think there were eight leading scorers, right? You lost all of them. Okay, top eight scorers from last year, gone. Eight leading scorers during a game, all of them are gone. I thought that you looked at this game, and I wasn't sure where it would be decided. There were, and there's a lot of things that you could point at, but I go to the bench, and you look at Ronji Gordon. That wasn't someone I expected to put up any numbers at all. He goes four of his first five from the field, finishes with eight points, four of seven from the floor, and your backup forward for ETSU, Richard Amopoli, 0 for 2 with zero points. I think that they miss a guy like Joe Hughley. You know, Joe Hughley from last year is someone that could come in and provide quick, instant offense, someone that played his role, was at Central Connecticut State, was a double-figure scorer, came to ETSU, just wanted to win and prove that on the court, fit in where he needed to, did what they asked him to do, and had some downright explosive offensive performances. He was a veteran. He knew how to play that role, and he knew what he needed to do in order to be effective and efficient and make the most of his opportunities because they were more few and far between. Richard Moffley is a freshman. He is highly touted. He had offers from big schools. He had interest from other big schools. He came to ETSU. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. But right now, he is not a graduate transfer with a ton of experience. He is not someone that has experienced collegiate success. It's hard to expect what we are expecting from a lot of these players, considering the situation that they have been put in. So we're, we're sitting here, obviously, rapidly reacting to a game. And, and, and are we asking too much of a retro freshman and a freshman? Are we expecting them exactly, to step right into We've got to have some perspective because, yes, Demari Monsanto, everybody wants to talk him up. And think he's going to be a very good scorer. You saw flashes of it on Saturday, but when he is one of your most veteran players on your team as a redshirt freshman, yeah, it's going to be difficult to step back and look at this roster and say, this non-conference season should be X, you know, it should be 6-2 and two, or it should be 7-3. and three. It, it should go how the preseason poll reads that it should go, right? ETSU projected third, and so a lot of people are going to look and say, wow, well, they're one and three now, and this season's already a disaster. No, this team's going to get better and better as it goes along, as they get more used to each other. Early on, yes, I think we and fans are expecting too much from these young men because of all the criteria that we just talked about. But there is going to be a corner that is turned 
I'm expecting it to be after the non-conference season, going into the conference season. A lot of people clamored for just having a conference-only basketball season, and I'm at this point, for ETSU's sake, glad that that was not the case in terms of on the court. Obviously, you don't want to see anybody get sick or anything like that, but I'm glad for December 30th, when Western Carolina comes into Freedom Hall, that the Bucks will have gotten this month of basketball out of the way because there are going to be growing pains, there are going to be tough days, and at the end of the day, well, all, we say all of this and look at a one and three record. They are a couple of possessions from being three and one. And I would think, looking around the conference, as we will a little bit more in segment three, one of the maybe one or two teams that can look at their schedule, look at their record, and say, "Boy, I feel really, really good about where I'm at." Just the fact that those two or three possessions didn't go your way is no reason to flame the entire season. Oh yeah, and they got a chance to pick up a, you know couple wins I would hope this week if they get back on the floor and again we saw them get back on the floor pretty quickly at Fabling Christian of course it's not North Carolina A&T it's Gardner-Webb Gardner-Webb's 0-2 they've just got a couple of games lost to Western Kentucky in a tight ball game lost to Pittsburgh where they open up the game 0 for their first 19 shots still only lost by 17 and still only lost by 17 uh, return a lot of key pieces uh, they got a couple different guys that really can score it got a shot blocker got a rebounder Tim Kraft is a guy that's um you know, I think he's in his sixth straight, uh, sixth season now as a head coach. His first four years, 15 or more wins in Big South history. There's only three of the coaches that have done that. Eight, eighth season, but he hasn't finished below 500 in any of them in the Big South. Ron Bradley, Greg Marshall, Nick McDivitt. Pretty good a, co- a couple of guys for sure, I think Buck fans know. Kraft was also on that um, team in which ETSU joined the Atlantic Sun and Gardner-Webb that – I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but if people remember the first Langston Conference tournament, the Bucks win was held in the mini dome, and uh, it was the very first game, the noon game, and there was a tipping at the buzzer by Tim Jennings over Tim Smith. There was not a switch by Andrew Reed and Tim Smith, and uh, the very first game, the home team is out of the quarterfinals, and so then it was a ghost town in here. You haven't watched uh, the game. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. When I saw that he was an assistant during that. Uh, it still hurts because I can see Tim Smith yelling at Andrew Reed to switch. Uh, and normally, you know, people put like the big man, the center, six eight, six nine guy on the ball. But Tim Smith was all a five foot seven, and they were posting up a six five guard on him. And so he was trying to switch because like he knew what was coming. Andrew Reed said, "No, coach told me to guard the ball." Tim said, "You need to switch." He wouldn't switch. By the time they handed the ball off, they lobbed it up, and the five foot seven was no match for six foot five. I don't like to give you credit for anything, but your mind is truly a blue and gold steel trap. It is unbelievable. I'm more astounded by it every day. It's more. It's more about the things that make me mad than the <laughs> as well. <laughs> if you notice that, it's more. I remember all the stuff that just irritates me. I do. I, I do hold a grudge. That's, that's just a good fan. Good fandom there. So, but there there are some interesting storylines. If you tune in, we probably don't have enough time to cover it now. But yeah. there's some players with some great ties to some NBA players, one's brother, one's two-time player of the year. There's some other, they returned the third best um, three-point shooter in the nation. Now he's only hitting uh, his name is really uh, cold right now. Yeah, Jamon Cornwall yeah. is just 3 of 13, but he's 42% for his career. Yeah, he was 44% last year. No so his next three-point attempt will be his 400th of his career and he's still shooting 42% for a career. So still pretty good and uh, they are very Lengthy. That's the one thing I noticed when I was Huge. doing my research. Not just six six to six eight six nine, but guys a wingspan of seven three seven, seven six. six. I mean, it's all over the place. So there's a lot of good storylines in there. This is a, a Gardner Webb team that's just just wanting to play. 
and this will be their third road game. They've yet to play a home game, and so they're going to go on the road and take a game on short notice, just like ETSU is. They just want to play basketball and so do we. Here's what I'll say. Don't take Gardner-Webb lightly, uh, ETSU fans. You're going in, and I am the biggest Big South hater in the world. Uh, Gardner-Webb is projected fourth in that conference. Um, it's not a particularly strong one year in and year out. It's usually got Winthrop and nothing else. We get that. But this team is extremely talented. Are they going to be able to play their best basketball considering they were shut down for the first two weeks of the season because of COVID? Probably not. But you look up and down their roster, they've got the muscle inside with the length. Okay, they're going to be a team that with the one and two of Ludovic Dufiel, Ludovic Dufiel, Jay Sandoz, and Kareem Reed are going to be Dufiel. able to. Yes, Dufiel. I've been trying to practice that. Are going to be Because I'm prepared for somebody else. Shut down pretty much everyone in the paint. They combined for like 118 block shots last year. That's going to be difficult to navigate. They've got an NJCAA All-American transfer. They've got Cornwall, as you mentioned. They've got a couple other guys, including Damarian Williams and uh, Jordan Sears, you know, Lance Terry. All of these guys come with pedigree. They come from winning programs. Falco, Jacob Falco is another one can shoot it. the NJCA All-American. So there's a lot of talent on this team. I'm not sure that they're going to be at 100%. They're going to be a lot further ahead later in the year, much like ETSU, than they are right now. Everybody's going to be healthy. Does that mean they're going to play their best basketball that they will in 2020, 2021? No, but this is not going to be an easy game for the Bucs. They have to come ready. They have to be on their game when it comes to guys like Demari Monsanto. You know, getting efforts from people outside Ladarius Brewer and Silas Adeke, and you still can't count an Adeke every game, game in, game out. We're talking like he's going to be a 10.10 you know, rebound guy. That's something that's new. It's just his second double-double of his career against UAB. So that's just what I want to say quickly before we have to go, because I know we're way over time, is this is not going to be an easy conference. Well, and, and the only thing I will say that will be nice for ETSU after playing a team, in, a couple teams that want to force issue in turnovers. Gardner-Webb only forced four turnovers in the game against Western Kentucky. They had slightly more at 16 against Pitt, but in two games, 20 turnovers forced. So not a high-pressure team. Is that long, lengthy? More than likely you'll see some zone. Um, that's normally why you get that, whether that's a 1-3-1, one, one, whether it's 2-3, whether it's a matchup. Might get some man, but just looking at some things, the no turnovers, the length they're getting, that normally speaks to zone. Again, we – this morning we came in to prepare for Gardner-Webb just like the rest. So we're a little behind the eight ball as well. Normally well, we'd have more well, information. You'd be pretty there. ready, but I, we're just so over on time. I'll, I'll say this. If Gardner-Webb and North Carolina A&T played tomorrow, I could go call that game and feel very good about it because you and me both spend time. <laughs> I know North Carolina A&T lots of time. All right, what's up, side for a time? We'll talk to you women's basketball. For this time, out to word from Sandoz Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and the sidekick back with you. Mike Gallagher joining me as we talk a little ETSU women's basketball. We both had the call of that contest just like we did of the men's game, and it was really all about the start. I mean, we've talked about a lot. You can't win a game in the first quarter of many sports or the first few minutes of a first half, but you certainly can lose one, and I felt that was it. I felt like the beginning of the game 
ETSU is eighteen nothing before the Bucks were able to score, and then thirty one five, and then the Bucks were able to cut it to I want to say it was six or seven, and then all of a sudden you have to expend so much energy, and and it's I've argued fans it was four because it's well, it's forty minute game. When you're coming from behind and you're doing things, you see this all the time. When a team finally gets caught up, all of a sudden the other team makes a run because it's just different when you're having to play from behind on everything that you're trying to do. And similar to the men's team, the ETSU women's team having trouble scoring. Both teams particularly not shooting the ball well overall this season. And other than some spot games for a player here or there, they're really struggling to score, and without Carly Hooks getting a, a late bucket, ETSU would not have had a, a player in double figures for the second straight game. But both teams really struggling. they got to figure it out, and some of the people they're leaning on just aren't knocking down shots. And they're also leaning on a few younger players that I think me and you both thought would be able to score right away that just haven't quite done it yet in a college game. Yeah, Courtney Moore is one of those. Um, 0 of 6 from the floor, 0 of 5 from do want to give an update on her because got a text from Coach Zell today, and if people were listening to the broadcast on Saturday, Coach Zell thought that it may be a broken nose, uh, could be a concussion. She is in concussion protocol, uh, and they are still waiting on results from tests on the nose. So it was a like nasty looking shot. It was, and it was strange. And I agreed with the call that there was nothing malicious, totally no flagrant contact, totally agree. Pick where it almost looked like kind of a slingshot was created by the defender that was guarding Courtney Moore. At least Stafford sets a pick, and her arm, the defender that is, gets kind of caught between Stafford and Courtney Moore as she's driving around the pick and just smacks her right in the face like a like a rubber band almost. Like she was wedged, and it just created a. Totally, to, I agree. Totally looked incidental. It was awkward that when the contact was made, it kind of shot. You're right. It shot it the arm kind of backwards, but your arm can only go so far back. So you're right. It slingshot forward. And then more to her credit, after having basically a nose bar or whatever, it was, was able to, without really seeing out of one eye, run down the other end of the floor, knock the ball away, I believe from Stockton that was going up for a layup, and then kind of immediately run to the sideline to, to sub out, in which you know they got a shot, uh, again, doing the TV, they got a shot, and you could see blood coming out of the nose at that point in time, and went to a lengthy review. And, again, I, I agree with the call. There was no way that, that that was intentional, unintentional. It just was a happen chance because of the way the contact was made. And so it, it was interesting to see. But give Moore a lot of credit, again, because it was one of the better defensive plays. We talked about it a lot on TV. That was one of the better defensive plays you'll see, considering you, you know for a freshman to get hit in the face, have that happen, still go down there and not give up, wait to the whistle, and then take yourself out. It was the first thing I asked Coach Zell postgame, just how impressed she was by the fact that, especially a freshman, Right, because that's not someone that you think of. You know, when freshmen come in, they have the rap of being soft, right? And they're not used to the collegiate game, and they don't know what it takes yet. Well, I think Courtney Moore is someone when she's on a basketball court, she knows what it takes. And the fact that she was able to gut it out for those five, ten seconds, get back up court, smack the ball out of bounds—it was a four on nothing. The last person I expected to be able to run down the court after she got hit in the face, she lost the ball was grabbing at her face. The last person I was expecting on a four-on-nothing to come out of nowhere and smack the ball out of bounds was Courtney Moore, but an incredible hustle play, and certainly hope a quick recovery for her. No word on her long-term effects in terms of her being available for Davidson this Friday or not. I would expect that she's back, you know, within a couple of weeks. Um, it doesn't sound like, you know, we know the masks that you can wear, you know, the 
usually out maybe a week as you adjust. And for a shooter, those are usually tough to adjust to to begin with. Sure, and Courtney um, is a really great shooter. But as you said, to get back to the point, she has not shown it. Uh, Kaya Upton only played 15 minutes. She was 0-4 from the field. And she's not someone you rely on to score a lot, but, boy, is she someone you rely on to be out there 35, 36 minutes a game as she was last year. Carly Hooks, yes, got to 10 points, but 4 of 16 from the field. Jasmine Sanders is still struggling. She showed some flashes, right? We know that she's going to come around and get some double-figure games under her belt. Uh, Elise Stafford, again, showed flashes, but 1 of 9 from 3, 2 of 12 from the field. You just have to be better as a preseason all-conference selection. So, yes, uh, there are some huge issues offensively right now for ETSU, and Coach Zell says that the Bucks are going to get in the gym and work, and they're going to continue to do so until this gets right. So, with all 13 playing and everyone continuing to get chances, I feel much better about this team going towards conference play than I would have at the beginning of the season, much like ETSU men's basketball. I hate to sing the same, same narrative on each team, but when you have so little back in terms of bodies that are you know, not new to the program, like what Shania Jackson, Maya Adams, Kaya Upton, Elise Stafford, your four starters that were back from last year, but you had nobody else that played for you back. You had Makaya Dowdell and Jasmine Sanders off the bench, right? And then everybody else is a newcomer. Free Chessie men's basketball, pretty similar story with your top eight scorers being gone. Um, Courtney Moore, hoping she's okay, hoping ETSU's offense can turn the corner because 21% from the field, 16% from three, and 38% from the line. Uh, ETSU almost set some new lows in program history offensively against Fresno State. I mean, just look at the overall numbers this season, just 31% from the floor, 21% from three, and 60% from the free throw line. I mean, it's easy to see why you're averaging 53 points a game. Nobody's averaging double figures right now. The only person shooting over 25% from three, and that's only because Ja'Kai Davis is one for four, is Makaya Dowdell, who is someone who really doesn't look for her shot a lot. Just kind of, you know, in the normal flow of the game or anything. But you get to the point where you're going, well, she's shooting 50% from the floor. She's shooting 60% from beyond the arc. And Ja'Kai Davis shooting 45%. Other than that, people really struggling to shoot the basketball and they they just got to be better too they rely on some threes and other than Dowdell hitting the six threes everyone is under a make per game on your point about the bad start the last thing you need is to compound an offensive issue by limiting yourself in terms of bodies that are available for the rest of that first half and there were too many people in foul trouble early on I mean you look coming into the game and Makai Dowdell and Ja'Kiah Davis were your most consistent players entering the action. Shania Jackson was coming off a good game, her best game of the year at Vanderbilt. Those were the three that picked up two early fouls and didn't play again until the third quarter. So you were without your three best options, I would say, coming into the contest on the offensive end. And, yes, you're right. Ja'Kiah Davis is similar to Makaya Dowdell in the fact that they don't look for their shot. They let the game come to them. They're probably going to take you know, six to nine shots per game. Jakaya had really her first kind of off game for ETSU, um, had only two points, you know, one of four from the floor, only 13 minutes because of that foul trouble. She's a freshman. That's going to happen. That'll come and go. Uh, but when you have those three get in early foul trouble, that is going to significantly hinder your comeback. I still thought, looking up the scoreboard, honestly, at halftime, 33-15, to 15, I thought the game was right there for ETSU. It kind of reminded me of ETSU and UNC Asheville. I believe that was two years ago down at Kimmel Arena, it was 27-14, to 14, and obviously Coach Zell was upset, as she was in this game against... Um, that was the famous halftime Twitter interview, uh, well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, she was not yeah. happy. Against Presbyterian, she wasn't happy either, right? And she wasn't happy after the game. That was the difference, was she wasn't happy so much after the game 
against Presbyterian, but against UNCA, ETSU came back and only ended up losing, I think it was 56 to 55. So there was that second half comeback. They came out more resilient, and ETSU, you know, kind of took offense to how they played in the first half. That just didn't happen in this game. Uh, 68 to 38. Boy, it's the first time in the Coach Zell era that she has lost to a team by 30 or more at home. And the previous seven games in which ETSU lost by 30 or more were A, on the road, and B, against either a Power 5 or a Southern Conference team. So by definition, I think you would call this Brittany Azell's worst loss of her tenure at ETSU. Uh, and so she was upset, and understandably so. Uh, that is one game. It is in a non-conference season. It is going to pass. It's important that they have a good week of practice this week and that the young women who are led by, I think, really Dowdell and Shania Jackson, you know, answer the call here. Because if you don't get that over these next couple of weeks going into the conference season, it's going to be a long year. But I think that they have the leaders on this team to be able to step up and uh, join with Coach Zell in you know, making sure that this season doesn't go like Saturday. Well, and they got a road test at Davidson Friday at home Appalachian State. And the Appalachian State game is a game they generally win no matter what. It's just one of those things that you sort of have a team's number. Before they do that, they got a Davidson came here last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they did. Seventy-two to fifty-four, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Davidson. Seventy-five to sixty. Okay, so um, ETSU gets that was another one with a bad start. To Twenty-one to eleven after the first quarter. Time yeah, to get yourself out yeah. of it. You got to get it going. I think can ETSU get going? The other thing was kind of confusing was when they Sanders finally got a shot to go and Stafford got a shot to go. I felt like okay, here we go. They right. got one to drop. And Stafford, I think it was after an outside shot, had that little floater cutting down the lane, and then I'm thinking, okay, and then just nothing, just could not get it going. Sanders, same thing, got a, kind of a friendly roll, if I'm not mistaken, on her first three to go down, and then you're thinking, okay, you get that, right? You're at home, got a friendly roll, now you're ready to go. And it just just waited, and it just never could put together a run. And, again, similar limits, they're just not putting together runs. Or if they do, it's a four- to five, six-point run so it's a little spurt more than a run you know you're not getting those 10 12 14 you know 16 2 type runs that if you could get one of those one or two of those a game it's obviously how you know games are decided the little eight minute six minute spurt the problem for ETSU that spurt went against them and it was to open up the game and it was hard to make a comeback uh, from there so they get a chance Friday we're going to preview that we'll also talk Appalachian State later this week as well so we'll talk about both those contests for ETSU women basketball. When we come back, it is SOCON scheduling. Time to sink our teeth in, Jay Sandoz. We'll see what Mike Gallagher has in store for me after this timeout. Your work center sidekick on the Bucket Air Sports Network. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun.
have to not only mix it up on the bumpers, but we have to, I think, really dive deep into some things to dispel and move past any uh, fraudulences. Is that a thing? Fraudulences? I'm pulling it. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Uh, any of the misinformation that may be out there around, in our case, it's usually Southern Conference men's or women's basketball. And I think it's about that time okay. with the men's basketball slate. So I'm going to give you the 10 teams, ETSU, Furman, UNCG, so on and so forth, give you a quick blurb on each. I'm going to ask you to revisit one by one, but I'm going to roll straight through. Roll right? straight through. I will be quiet during this So game. the Southern Conference preseason poll, we know looked like UNCG, Furman, ETSU, Mercer, Wofford, Western Carolina, Chattanooga, Sanford, BMI, Citadel. The only difference was in one of the polls, Furman was on top, talking coaches and media, Furman was on top instead of UNCG. Look around the country right now. There's 20 teams that have played at least five games and not lost. The SOCON has three of them. Those being Mercer, Chattanooga, and the Citadel. Let's, top of the, let's start at the top of the preseason poll. UNCG, 2-3. and three. Quality wins over Arkansas Little Rock and Norfolk State, both league favorites. Bad loss to Coppin State, though Coppin State did just lose to Duke by 10, and Duke's a whole other story right now, obviously. Understandable loss to the Big South favorite. Winthrop, kind of a middling loss to Duquesne out of the A-10, who were projected fifth in that conference, but Duquesne lost by 10 to Little Rock uh, before that win over the Spartans. Furman, 5-1, and one, three wins over non-D1s. Went over a couple of uh, middle-of-the-pack Big South teams, I think you call them, USC Upstate and Charleston Southern, who right now, in going into the season, you'd say middle-of-the-pack, but right now a combined 0-9 against Division One opponents this year. Only quality team that Furman has faced. Cincinnati lost by five. The Bearcats projected third in the AAC. Uh, they were down by two with eight minutes to go. Had a chance to win that game. Didn't get it done. ETSU, we know. We've talked about a ton. Losses to Abilene Christian, projected second in the Southland. Austin P, the co-favorite in the OVC. And then the win over MTSU. Uh, who they should be, right? And then the loss to UAB, who are off to their best start in program history, and were projected fourth in Conference USA. Mercer, three non-D1 wins, good wins against Sunbelt favorite Georgia State, and kind of average ACC side Georgia Tech, but still a really good win. What probably should have been a more comfortable win over Georgia Southern yesterday with a buzzer beater coming from Neftali Alvarez to win it. Wofford, two and two, two wins over 91s, a five-point loss to A-10 favorite and top 25 team Richmond. And they had two chances to tie or send to overtime against USF. That South Florida ended up losing by two. USF, a top four projection in the AAC. Western Carolina, six and one. Two 91 wins, three overtime wins now against UNCA, who I think still have a lot to prove this year. Tennessee Tech, who are winless. And North Carolina A&T, who are decimated by injury. UNCW, who haven't been good since Kevin Keats left for NC State, uh, was a victory for Western Carolina, and then a loss to the projected worst team by far in the Sun Belt, that being Troy. Chattanooga, 6-0, and essentially three 91 wins, two 91s, true 91s, and Bellarmine, who are in their first year transitioning to Division One, a win over a winless Tennessee Tech team, who we already mentioned, win over MTSU, who has one D1 win so far, and I'd say one quality win over Northern Kentucky, but to be fair, they're underperforming so far this year also. Sanford, horrible loss to Alabama A&M after their buckyball exhibition where they put up 174 on Greenville. But then a 91 win, a great win on the road at Belmont by 13. I thought it was great at least. And nearly an even better win at Georgia in a game they quite frankly gave away. Georgia didn't lead until the final two minutes, and Sanford kind of choked that one up. And then you look at the final two teams, VMI. Four and two. Two 91 wins, two wins against teams projected in the bottom four in the Big South, Hampton and Longwood, and two losses on the road to Power 5 teams, Virginia Tech and Penn State. Citadel at 5-0. and oh, Four 91 wins, and a come-from-behind win from down 10 at the half to beat North Carolina A&T, who are kind of all over the place, as we mentioned right now. I run through all of that. Do you hear a theme? I do want to make one correction. Please do. 
Furman beat College of Charleston. Pardon me. Okay. College of Charleston as well. Um, which is slightly better than Charleston Southern, but yes. they were picked sixth or seventh in the CAA, so we're still not talking juggernaut there. The common theme I heard was a lot of non-division ones for a lot of teams. And uh, what would Coach Shea say? Good scheduling by some. So there are teams I feel like needed to have some scheduling to build some things, right? I think Western Carolina's schedule was smart. You know, yes, they played some non-D1s, but they get a chance to take on Wilmington in-state, get a chance to play on Nashville. Now, they lead America, I think, in overtime games. It is incredible the number of overtime games they have in, in Tennessee Tech. They won them all. Give, I mean, give credit where that is. Chattanooga has some games that were probably iffy for them, but they were able to pick up wins. But then they got the news that David Jean Baptiste is transferring away. So that's interesting to see because he was averaging 18 a game for Chattanooga. Mercer is the one to me out of all those that really jumped. Them and Furman, but Mercer more than any. They go, and again, I know Georgia Tech's not been a, a juggernaut recently, but they beat Georgia Tech. They beat in-state rival Georgia State. They hit that amazing buzzer beater last night against Georgia Southern coming from behind, you know, and then they stack like three non-Division one games in there. So they've been able to do some things. Furman's big test was Richmond. Richmond's coming off that win at Kentucky. And uh, or was it Cincinnati? Was it Richmond or Cincinnati? Cincinnati. So um, it was interesting to see sort of that test for Furman. Now going to College of Charleston, which is I don't think I feel Buck fans what a tradition rich program that is, and to slap College of Charleston the way they did to me was impressive. And I don't care if College of Charleston's picked seventh or 29th. to go down there and win by as much as they did. I think that's an impressive win. Sanford's right there. The, you know, Buckyball is a full full press, right? He's going to press from the time you get off the bus to there. So they're going to have some wins in there that I think are going to surprise people. We'll, we'll wait and, and see I in Georgia. I thought Buckyball was scoring 174 against the 91. I mean, it is. Oh. But he did that by pressing and doing everything else. But but that, that's exactly what they're going to do. So, I, you know, if they would have beat Georgia, the win at Furman or Belmont, I, I think that's exactly what they caught. Belmont slapped some press on them. Belmont had some uncharacteristic turnovers. Sanford hit some shots. You win the game. That's great for the league. Like, if there's anything you can take from this, I take great for the league because some of those wins coming in there, some undefeated teams, just some one losses. There hasn't been a whole lot of bad losses. I mean, VMI getting, you know, a couple of wins in there as well. I think Stanford losing to Alabama and M is there. That's not – yeah, but, you know, but then you beat Belmont. No true, true. Up. I mean, you turn around and beat Belmont, though. It's, uh, Buck fans can tell you, you know, how tough that is to do. But it's so funny that I think right now, because of the way this, I think the scheduling is, you look at the bottom of the league and you go, Wofford, UNCG, ETSU. And Only is, because of scheduling. And that is why my overarching point with running through the Southern Conference men's basketball scheduling segment is that everybody needs to calm the freak down. The teams that have played nobody. Correct. The teams that have played somebody. Correct. The teams have done exactly what we think that they should have done. We know absolutely nothing. So to me, it is ridiculous to talk of an undefeated record with the teams that these SoCon undefeateds have played. Plenty of reason to be optimistic, no doubt. But it's also ridiculous to talk up a losing record. There's also plenty of reason to be optimistic with schedules like the one that ETSU have played. We don't know anything because there haven't been a whole lot of games where you look around the conference and say, that didn't go how I thought it would. If I looked at nine of these ten teams in the conference, 
I would say they are right where you'd expect them to be, right where they should be. They have done what is expected of them. Would there be some games that I come across and say, oh, if they would have won that, my opinion would have changed. ETSU, if they would have been able to beat Austin P. Uh, if they would have been able to take down UAB or get both of those, and they're three and one. Georgia uh, for Sanford, if they could have pulled that off and not blown it in the final minutes, would I be really high on them? Sure. These things didn't happen. Nine of the ten teams to me are exactly where I think they should be or where I thought they would be or where you'd expect them to be. The only one is Mercer, where I look at the league and say, they've got some impressive ones. They may be here to stay. They are a team that's going to make some noise. And to be fair, it's something that many predicted a couple of years ago, including our friend Steve Forbes, that talked to you about it in, like, you know, 2017-18 and said that they would be this a lot sooner than people thought. They are that right now. But outside of Mercer, nobody has any right to say anything to another school about their schedule, about their results, because what you'd expect to have had happen has gone exactly to plan. And for you look at Mercer, two of those wins on the road, too, at Georgia Tech, at Georgia Southern. They beat Georgia State at home. They're going to go to Georgia State next. So, to me, those are solid wins. Yes, they played three non-division ones, and they got to the – I mean, that that's fine. Some teams are taking advantage of that. For Citadel, they need to play those three non-division ones. For VMI, it's good for them to play that. I think scheduling is so important because you not every team can load up and play – big boy after big boy after big boy. And let's face it, coaches are all about protecting their paycheck nowadays. So if games make sense, then, you know, they'll play it. And I think you look at Mercer did more because of some of the rules that they they really went in-state on purpose. The only game they had scheduled out of state was Elon and ended up getting postponed. So they're playing everybody, non-Division one or Division one in their state of Georgia. It's actually kind of impressive how they managed to do that. It, 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 it honestly makes me jealous because I'm sitting there going, you know, we couldn't get Tennessee Tech. We, You know, not that I really want to go to Martin again, but do you want to go to Martin? I mean, there's a lot of games you could play Austin. We did play Austin P in middle, but we had to go dag on down to Fort Myers to play them instead of playing them in a state. And, you know, Radford's just up the road. Could we get a game with them? And so there's a lot of a lot of things there. And then you look at, at Chattanooga, you know, same thing. Play Tennessee Tech. They haven't won a game yet. We know what Middle Tennessee has been. They great scheduling in Bellarmine or Bellarmine or what? What is it? Bellarmine. Bellarmine. I don't care what they send anymore. <laughs> and then um, you know they got Northern Kentucky that uh, got postponed, right? So they didn't even get that game in. So they they got three ninety one. So Chattanooga's not had success lately. They're getting some winnable type games um, that are in there, and uh, they've done what they're supposed to. They they. They knocked him off. It's a question I asked Bruce Trambard on the broadcast on Saturday. Who would you rather be? A UAB team that's 5-0, and has played essentially no one, and has taken care of business, and has a lot of feel-good contests under their belt, and have all the reason in the world to feel confident about how they're going to do this year. Or would you rather be ETSU, who lost two of their three at the Gulf Coast Showcase, were very competitive in two of them, winning one, and then almost pulling that upset against Austin P. if not for Terry Taylor, lost their first against Abilene Christian. That was pretty predictable, not to say expected to go the way that it did, but so much for Abilene Christian back, ETSU just trying to figure it out and retool with the new rotation. And then you had 10 days off to try and figure it out and work on things and go into a contest against a very good UAB team that's off to its best start in program history and feel good about your chances to win because you have worked on the things that you felt you needed to address. And the answer is... Yes, I want to be both. I will take either one. There's no reason to crush one and say that I want this, but I don't want this. Uh, This one's way better than the other. Both are in good shape. 
What would you rather be, Citadel or ETSU? I'd rather be either right now. I, it's great. ETSU is able to work on what they need to. They're playing good competition. They're getting ready for down the road, where Citadel right now is feeling fantastic, and they're thinking that they're helping their confidence, they're helping their offense, they're getting to do, like you said, some of those scrimmage-type games and work. Yeah, so that's, that's my point is this year, if nothing else, you didn't get closed scrimmages. You didn't get exhibition games. And some of the teams, and ETSU, hopefully the U.S. Aiken game stays, and I think it's a good game for ETSU because they didn't get a chance to work on some things. And get, there's certain things you can do in practice that either don't translate or doesn't work out. Until you get some combinations on the floor, and Abilene Christian is a great example. If, e, if ETSU would have had last year's 31 team in this scenario, they could have rolled all the Division One teams and just had at it and had no no issues whatsoever. They could have just rolled through everything because they were used to doing all the other stuff. I think some of the issue is that they need – one of the few years that ETSU needs a game or two like USC Aiken to try to get some things worked out in the process of game. And UAB was able to do it through, let's be honest, some lower Division One Again, good sketch. But there's a couple of those – games that you could consider not I mean Alcorn State's brutal and has been brutal for many years and so they did a nice job but for Chattanooga and some of these others you know they got a couple of those games in BMI and Citadel have to play just just because they do it just recruiting things that hamper them they need to get three or four non-division one games in for other teams and for Mercer I think particularly it was about hey they don't want me to really leave the state and talking to Greg Gary about that that's sort of the theme that went into that and so yes they were allowed to schedule the Elon and didn't win but they weren't really supposed to try to leave the state until they got the league action but all these other teams some of them treated it basically like glorified scrimmage and exhibition games to try to find out what's going right that being said do I think that Wofford do I think that UNCG do I think ETSU when it gets down to it will be right where they're supposed to be in the top four or five in the league, if not better? Yes, Nothing yes, I do. says it's too early to judge the standings than seeing them how they are right Do now. I think uh, a team, let's just, oh, I don't know, throw a dart on the wall, Chattanooga could plummet here? Yeah, yeah, sure, I do. I think and everyone, I'm pulling for it. if everyone's feeling good, everyone should feel good. If everyone's feeling terrible about how they're doing so far, everyone should feel terrible because arguing about who is better right now or who's going to be better based on the results right now at the end of the season is absolutely ridiculous. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Fire Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6 in state state lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball has got its man. It's new coach Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. The conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SOCON season is done. 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 Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two stubs and a brownie to watch it grow. Just disgusting. You left that honey mustard. Bold predictions. Uh, you have your bold predictions. I, I am very flustered. I don't even know if I remember. Yeah, I had Elise Stafford with 20. Yeah. I had men's basketball shooting over 50% from three. Let me just let me be I'll spoiler alert. Did well. uh, did not do well in those. I had ETSU women's basketball turning it over 16 times or less. They had 20. I had Demario Monsanto with 16 or more points. He had five. 
I will say I did have, and it was my only saving grace this weekend. Suck it down, Hellman. Army 15, Navy 0. Four out of five for the Black Knights, baby. Four out of five. Fifteen nothing. Do you want to? Of course, I was there for the loss of the four or five. Do you want to go over the details of how that ended up being? Oh, it was so disgusting. So, Army's up three nothing. Navy, and and to be honest with you, looks like it's going in uh, for a touchdown. Johnson, the safety, I can't remember his first name, ends up making the play at at about the the two one and a half yard line. Had to review it several times, but ended up being down one and a half. Navy four tries from the one and a half does not score a touchdown. Army's able to get out of their end zone. They punt, trade some punts. Navy fumbles deep in their own territory. Army cashes in. It's 10 nothing. Here's my favorite. Ball's on like the 21-yard line. Navy runs a reverse. The receiver goes all the way to the end zone to get tackled. 21-yard, negative 21-yard safety. You don't see that a lot. It goes 12 nothing. Then on fourth and two from their own, like 25, go for it. Don't get it. Army runs three plays, kicks a last-second field goal to go ah. 15 nothing. There you go. 15 0, baby. 15 0. Luckier bold prediction in the history Woo! of this segment. I mean, my favorite is the negative 21 yard safety, and it was a 15 point game. You said 14 or more. Safeties yeah. are worth two points, so it would have been 13. There you that go. That is just there you atrocious. Are. Money. Thankfully, I don't have to be very mad because I got one too. I said Eagles rookie Jalen Hurts would win his NFL debut, at least as a starter. Over the New Orleans Saints, New Orleans was a seven-and-a-half road favorite. And Hurts becomes the first QB since at least 1950 to throw a TD pass and rush for 100-plus yards in his first start. You can put it on the board! Yep. Beautiful. So mad about yours, though. I mean, that is just unbelievable. If you had luck like this, beautiful, you would not be sitting beautiful. here in the studio with me right now. I f- I mean, but I, I do, I do feel like it's a little poetic justice because I felt like my Tennessee Tech, I should have won twice against yeah. Western last week and, and did not. So I feel like I worked out in a while. I will say this one time, one time only. I am happy that you are happy. I cannot honestly. Well, you like uh, you like that. fantasy football misery. How about for the second straight year in one league, I'm the two seed. The second straight year, I lose in the quarterfinals. Well, to be fair, you were the one. And got bounced by a hundred. <laughs> oh, I was a one seed in our league last year too. I'm the Dusty Baker of fantasy football. All right, when we uh, what do we? We'll come on here and uh, preview women's basketball Thursday. Maybe talk men's basketball. We'll see what's going on yet. We'll do something Thursday. We'll recap men's basketball. Talk the weekends basketball, men's and women's. Sandro sidekick on the back of here. Of course, that worked. Cowboy up, go play ball.